Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from our website at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. And I'm Tyler Orton. And BIV is once again seeking BC's outstanding entrepreneurs, executives, managers, and professionals in public, private, and nonprofit sectors for the 2018 40 Under 40 Awards. Nominations close July 30th, so go to BIV.com slash events for more details. A range of innovative, disruptive technology has emerged to provide financial services and systems that conduct transactions and aim for greater efficiency. You can join us September 13th for BIV's FinTech panel, where we'll focus on helping small and medium-sized businesses make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information and tickets, head on over to BIV.com slash events. So Haley, we're still three months out from the municipal elections. And I don't know about you, any any guesses as to who the front runners <laughs> might be at this point for mayor at this? Well, I think to some extent, it's hard to tell. We're three months away, as you mentioned, but there's seven candidates to choose from. Yeah. So we do have some more information, though. Uh, Research co-president Mario Canseco, he has the latest polling numbers. And so we could actually see some people starting to emerge mm-hmm. from the pack He's going to dish for us. It's going to be very insightful talk with him about some of the challenges that are ahead for a lot of these competitors and why it's kind of wide open to a certain degree for Vancouver. So he's going to be coming up in just a few moments. Mm -hmm. And later on, Relentless Venture Fund's Brenda Irwin will discuss landing Van City as an institutional partner this month and why her organization is pursuing investments in businesses focused on medical technology. But first, here is Research Co.'s Mario Canseco. There are just three months to go before Vancouver elects a new mayor and council. There are more than half a dozen candidates for mayor in this city, but at this stage, it seems that two have solidified positions as frontrunners in the race. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. He joins us now with insight into his latest poll around Vancouver's municipal election on October 20th. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Great to be here. So out of seven candidates, two are leading. Tell us who they are and by how much they're leading. Well, it's a very close race. Once you factor out the undecided voters, it's Ken Sim from the Nonpartisan Association with 26%, followed by Kennedy Stewart, an independent with 25%. In third place, it's Ian Campbell from Vision Vancouver at 20%. But the one thing to remember is we still have 35% of voters who are undecided. And that's a very high number. It usually drops to around 10, 15% before election day. So I'm expecting those numbers to drop every month. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a, a lot of residents who haven't made up their minds. How likely is it, though, that this contingent of undecided voters are going to get on the fence one way or the other, and we will have a mayor who is able to get elected with more than just, say, 20, 25 percent of the vote? Because look at the number of candidates there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very possible we're going to have a mayor who gets 20 or 25 percent of the popular vote here. Well, it's a scary notion because, you know, we could be in a situation where you can't really control anything when you're elected by just one in four voters. And I think this is one of the reasons why we haven't seen a lot of candidates drop out. I mean, Patrick Condon decided to do so for health reasons, uh, but other candidates are looking at the numbers and thinking, if I get six points here, seven points there and get to that 25 to 30 percent level, I can win this thing. And I think that also explains a little bit the fact that we have so many people who are undecided. Maybe you like one of the candidates if you're a center-left voter or a center-right voter, but you don't know if he's going to be on the ballot when 
the election happens. So I think that's also part of it. That's a good point. And your poll shows almost two thirds of voters say they don't have enough information. Part of that could, of course, be because there are so many candidates in this race. But I'm curious whether campaign financing rules maybe have a role to play. Absolutely. I think this is a very different situation than the one we had four years ago. Uh, at this stage, uh, we didn't have this many undecided voters. We had two very traditional parties that were working against each other with Vision and the NPA. Now it's a completely new ball game, and you won't be able to have all that money for TV ads, for radio ads uh, in the weeks leading up to the vote. And this is this is definitely going to be crucial. It's going to be more uh, related to the machinery that each campaign can have at its disposal. Knocking on doors, good old grassroots, that's the way this uh, campaign will be won. The two top candidates so far right now, though, they do have some strikes against them. If you want to think of, say, Ken Sim, never been elected public office, maybe a much lower profile than you'd expect from uh, somebody with the NPA. Kennedy Stewart, uh, he represents Burnaby in the federal legislature. I I do believe he does live in Vancouver, though, which maybe a lot of Burnaby residents weren't actually aware of up until (laughs) a few weeks ago. I mean, are are these actually going to be that divisive for people, though? Are are those particular issues going to be troublesome for either of those candidates moving forward? Especially, I I think about, I guess, just the profile issue that maybe Ken Sim is looking at. Well, I think more than anything, what we see is the staying power of the NPA. You know, Ken Sim hasn't been campaigning. He's been away from the city for a while, and he's still in first place, albeit a very tenuous first place. So there's definitely something to be said about what is going to happen with the center-right? You have certain candidates who maybe would have wanted to run for the NPA in a running as independents or with other parties. And they're not at the level that Ken Sim has right now. Kennedy Stewart is a completely different situation. He's at a higher level now than the Vision Vancouver candidate. So there's definitely something there. And I think there will be a lot of discussions about uh, both issues that you pointed out. You know, Kennedy Stewart hasn't really been active in the city for a long time. He's actually an MP from a different uh, city. And Ken Sims never been elected to office. And, you know, I think those are definitely things that they'll have to work through. You mentioned this is a different election for a couple of reasons. But typically speaking, to be one of the front runners this early in the race, do people hang on to that position? Are they able to? What are some of the challenges with leading the pack three months ahead of the election? Well, not with this many undecideds. I think that's definitely part of the problem. Uh, you do have a level of support that is good. I think everybody likes to be in first place or second place. Yeah. And nobody's going to complain. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of movement that, that can happen from here until Election Day. And I think more than anything, it's going to be defined by the candidates who decide to stay in the race. And mm-hmm. you know what we're seeing with the undecideds more, uh, more and more is it's not that they don't know who they're going to be voting for. I think they're waiting for the moment when all the candidates have been decided. And, you know, looking into the situation, let's say nobody drops out. The debates are going to be very complicated. You're going to have a lot of people talking about things. They're going to last three, four hours, maybe, yeah. if you get to a lot of topics. <laughs> and I think there's voters uh, who have a center-left mindset. For instance, now that there is no... Uh, candidate from COPE, you know, where are those voters going to go? Maybe they like Kennedy Stewart because of his stance on on a, a climate change. Maybe they like uh, Ian Campbell because he's from Vision. Maybe they like Shona Sylvester because she's an independent. Where are those voters going to go? And I think this is happening with other uh, voters too. Like, it's not necessarily that you don't like a specific party or a candidate. 
It's just that we don't know if they're going to be on the ballot three months from now. Yeah, it seems as if both the right side and the left side have an equal chance of splitting the vote among uh, amongst mayoral candidates. And one of whom I am curious about, because I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like, am I in a bit of a bubble here, whether it's just my Twitter feed or just covering the news in a certain way? And I thought that Hector Bremner had much higher profile than maybe the results here would lead me to believe. How do you explain uh, he's, he's not doing very well right now with regards to the, the, the most recent data that you're showing? Well, it's a difficult situation for him. I think, you know, he recently established his new party. Uh, there's discussions about whether he's going to run a full slate or just be uh, him as a mayoral candidate. Uh, there's a little bit of time left for him to, to try to change those numbers. Uh, I think it definitely has a lot to do with the things that you said. Why Young, for instance, wasn't doing well a month ago, presented her slate, presented what she wanted to do, talked about bike lanes, focused on an issue that is very controversial, and now she's up three points. So once you start to talk about issues, even if they're issues that are only appealing to a small percentage of voters, you can see those numbers grow. And I think we might see something like that happening with Hector when we check in in four weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I will give props to Wai Young just re- with regards to her announcement outside H- City Hall. That's one of the most memorable, I, I think, uh, mayoral announcements I- I- I've seen in recent history here in Vancouver, that there's a violinist <laughs> and everything. Uh, very impressive. So there well, you go. And that definitely helps. You know, we-, we have seen some of the candidates very active on social media, not too much as far as actual policies or things. And it- it's the only way you can get your name out there. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say, and your poll results reflect this, housing affordability is a major issue. How do you think Vancouverites feel about how Vision has handled the housing file and how that might play out in this election? That that is a very dangerous file for them. Uh, Part of it is, of course, people are worried about housing. Uh, If you're a millennial, if you want to make it a go in the city, you're trying to figure out whether you can do it or not. It's now affecting baby boomers as well because their kids are are staying at home longer and Mm -hmm. they're starting to worry about what is going to happen with them. Uh, But there's uh, another issue, which is the influence of developers. And we do see the numbers in the city compared to what I've done in other places within Metro Vancouver. This is an area that is starting to develop an anti-developer feeling, not an anti-development feeling, but the the notion that the developers pretty much do what they want at at the city hall. And that is going to be very detrimental, uh, both for the vision candidate and for any candidate who has ties to the to to this industry, so it, it it'll be very difficult for them to steer clear of that and to say, well, I wasn't really a developer per se, but I was working on some projects or whatever. Uh, when you have fifty seven percent of residents saying yes, this is worse than other Metro Vancouver municipalities when it comes to the way we treat developers, mm. then it's a tough one. Mario, what do you think the future holds for Vision, though? We look at the slate that they're going to be running here, and Heather Deal is really the only incumbent left from that entire slate, which has dominated city council for a long period of time, the last decade here in Vancouver. What does the future hold for this? Well, I think um, they need to be ready for both uh, possibilities. Uh, One of them is uh, that they control the mayority. Uh, One of them is that they don't. And you need to continue trying to build on what they've done before. I think the fact that you have so many people retiring uh, speaks about two issues. One of them is the fact that now that we have four-year terms, it's probably a long commitment for people. But also, if you're used to running a campaign the way Vision used to run campaigns, which is with a lot of money, uh, with a war room that always had fresh coffee and pizza, and now you're running a campaign uh, with considerably less money, it's going to be tough. And I think that's one of the reasons for many of them to say that they didn't want to do this anymore. Uh, but what we hear from from residents is that they want to see a council that works. They want to see a council that has 
views from all places and representatives from from several parties. Um, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where a specific party dominates. And I think that's good for the future of the city. But it's definitely bad for vision because it's not going to look great to go from having the majority and a majority of the councillors to being in a situation where maybe you have two or three. That's a good point. And I'm curious, obviously, we'll hopefully see the number of undecided voters shrink as we get closer to election. It will make my job a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And I I imagine, too, people will feel maybe more confident, have more information because that number of people who feel they don't is quite high. But do you think in the situation we're in, does it lend itself to people maybe being more likely to say, okay, I know one candidate, I'm going to vote for a slate? Or because there are so many options for mayor, there are new parties emerging, maybe it's more fractured than that and people move away from a slate. I think we are, it, it might be the latter. You know, it's a situation now where the ballot is going to be even more confusing than it was before. You're going to have a lot of candidates for mayor, a lot of new parties, a lot of new people running. There was talk about having pictures of the candidates, uh, which I thought was pretty endearing. But when you look at the numbers, uh, your ballot is going to be roughly the size of a blanket. I mean, it's, it's going to be impossible <laughs> to have all of those pictures there. Uh, so, and the fact that we're not going to do this in alphabetical order uh, as we did before is also going to be a little bit confusing for the voters. Uh, I think it's fairer that way. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, you do see a lot of people who vote, uh, but it's, it has happened to me twice before that as, as I'm coming out of the actual polling station, Somebody is asking whether they have several votes for mayor or one vote for council. So there's a lot of confusion out there that needs to be cleared up, too. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Is there a quick way to sum up why we have all these divergences right now? Why it's so fractured at this particular moment in Vancouver's uh, civic history? I think everybody thinks they can win it. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) the key part for me. You know, if you have an incumbent mayor running who's starting with 35, 40 percent of the vote and you're trying to get to that level, if you only had a couple of strong parties running and you're fighting for that five or seven percent of the electorate that can win the election, then we wouldn't be in this situation. But everybody thinks they can do it. And it's ultimately because of timing. You know, Shona Sylvester announces when Vision Vancouver says we're not running a candidate. And then they say, guess what? We are running a candidate. And then Kennedy Stewart runs. So everybody's looking at the same numbers and thinking, if I can get to that 30% level, I can be mayor of the city for four years. So why stop now? Fair enough. Well, we'll have to keep having you back to walk us through how this changes, because I'm sure we're going to see a lot of change in the months ahead. But for now, Mario, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's Mario Canseco. He is the president of Research Co. One of BC's newest venture funds has a core mission centered on health technology. It's a subsector within technology that's been incredibly active across this region. And Relentless Venture Fund has now landed its first institutional investor, one with a very strong link to BC. Joining us today is Brenda Irwin. She's a managing partner of the Relentless Venture Fund. Brenda, thanks for joining us on the show. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, love to talk about everything relentless. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let's start a lot uh, with regards to the big news here. Like Van City has just announced that you guys are now the uh, partnered up here. What is this going to really mean for you guys going forward? Well, I, 
I have to say that uh, when I first met with Van City, they made it clear um, that we were on to something special. I, I had a first meeting with them just to, I'm not used to being on this side of the fence. I've been an investor for, for many years and I was in a conversation with a colleague and, and uh, brought the she brought the team in from Van City and I said, I need to build a fund around preventative health. And just the body language in the room told me that this was a this was the right place to be and and so van city's strong strong social impact um heart and that's quite values aligned with us so very exciting start for us so how big's the fund now and how big is van city's commitment if you're able to share we're we're not disclosing the financial terms at this point uh but we are are tracking we have the fund we're doing deals and and uh when we're ready to talk about numbers we'll we'll make sure you give you give you the ring <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, we'll get the uh, the exclusive on that one. But well, tell us a little bit about what you guys have invested in so far, because uh, BIV we've covered in the past, but Canary Medical Incorporated, that was the first investment yeah. that you guys made yeah. f- just a few months ago. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the appeal. It's also a BC-based company too. Yeah, very, very excited to, to have Canary Medical as the first deal in this fund. Uh, Bill Hunter, he was the uh, original co-founder of Angiotech, which has a long, very successful history in BC uh, about 20 years ago. And this is the next company that Bill and he brought part of his team back together, uh, co-founding Canary. They've been working quietly for the last couple of years. And, and when we reconnected over a year and a half ago, it was clear to me that the areas that they're developing um, product around in digital health tech is is going to be international will have international impact just like the drug coded stent did in the angiotech days well it's mm-hmm. very much kind of this data driven sort of stuff that why is that going to be so important because we, we all hear kind of big data this big data that why is this going to be the future though well i think if i go back to where um relentless you know is focusing on the pursuit of a quadruple aim. So people are familiar with uh, improved health outcomes, reduced healthcare costs. But the quadruple aim adds uh, engaging and empowering the patient as well as improving the clinician experience. So Canary is a perfect fit. It hits every box of the quadruple aim. And, uh, and the key part there is being able to engage an individual in management of their own healthcare with a healthcare team. And when you have data, and this is an embedded sensor, their first product is going to be the total knee replacement. And, and the vision is you walk in your room after you've recovered from the acute phase, um, you'll have all kinds of information with your, your doctor and, and your care team, physio, occupational therapist. And then after that point, for the entire time that that product is in your knee, you will have a sampling ability and therefore all that data will be available around are you doing what you need to do this comes to the both preventative and proactive health part of our our um, thesis that uh, they individuals will be getting information that they will be able to act upon and doctors are going to be able to have measurable outcomes of the impact of this this uh, this this healthcare product the idea of evaluating companies based on a quadruple aim, is that unique to Relentless? Is there research that supports looking at this? Tell us it's, more about that. Yeah. So it's it's I would say it's unique to Relentless in terms of a public conversation around it. But uh, if you look at um, research around the Global Impact Investors Network and some of the, the research and, and international 
uh, conferences that are in place now, we are we are at the edge of where pe- people are starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm, you know, I'm not aware of other health tech funds actually stating that as a goal. It is something we're pursuing. We'll be delighted if we hit at least two. But Canary is a first a first one is it's going to uh, take all four. Well. Talk to us a little bit because you guys are based here in yeah. BC. Canary is based here yeah. in BC. Are you guys focused on this region? Are, are you open to great investments across the globe? What is kind of the goal for you guys? Well, we we actually started. So si- Simon Whitfield and I co-founded Relentless Pursuit Partners a couple of years ago. Um, and that was the lead in to the Relentless Venture Fund. And what we did is we got together to test the investment thesis of investing on active, healthy living. That was the goal. And where did we end up? I mean, originally I said I wanted to invest in a, t- in a vision versus a vertical and that vision being impact health and activity. It ended up after a couple of years of investing across the country. So we have a couple investments in, in Ontario and a couple, uh, three now, well, from the angel fund, uh, we're split between BC and Ontario. And it became clear to me that I didn't need to resist the idea of a technology vertical. It's just redefining what that is. So we've ended up with really an emphasis in digital health technology. And that's coming back to Tyler, what you were saying about data, data, data. It's because the medical grade data is now possible um, in preventative health. So we are cross Canada, North American fund. Uh, we have team members, which aren't yet announced yet, that are actually based in the States. Uh, so we'll have um, a Pacific Coast emphasis as well. Let's tap into your insight then. If you have a North American outlook and you're familiar with jurisdictions across Canada, how does BC's health ecosystem, health tech ecosystem, compare to say that in Ontario or other states known for developing that kind of tech? Well, we're we're boosted and going to be supersized with the new Canadian uh, digital tech supercluster. So, I mean, that has been very exciting for all of us that have already been in the space for a while. And, and Precision Health is one of the areas that is is a, a focus and a target. And you only get that when you already have an established expertise and ecosystem. So I think that speaks volumes in, in terms of all the founding partners. Uh, one of the founding partners for the 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 supercluster that was um, appointed to to BC is is St Paul's Foundation. Well, two of them, St Paul's Foundation and Providence. And I happen to be on the board of Providence for six years. So seeing the recognition and acknowledgement of what's happening in unique ways in, in managing health was is quite exciting. Um, in particular with Providence uh, around seniors' health, and that's in our sweet spot. So the longevity economy and having an impact from from youth to seniors is key. And then I've, I mean, I've been a healthcare VC for a long time, and uh, where we rank. Um, is also dependent upon what resources we have. So having more capital makes a difference in some of the the groups that I've invested with in San Francisco, um, companies in San Diego, more so in Seattle, and then of course, Boston. It's more interesting for them to collaborate when it's a two-way street. And and I think we're we're, uh, headed in the right direction to to compete, but also to collaborate. I mean, it's, that's key in venture. You know, there's a lot of opinions around the venture industry and and taking venture venture capital and at an early stage. And I said at the heart of it, particularly in health, is collaboration. Well, with that in mind, though, I also wonder 
because you've got that experience being on the board yeah. uh, with regards to Providence Health. And I'm also wondering how perspectives differ with regards to what we're seeing in the healthcare industry and an acknowledgement of this aging population that we have, how it's really going to affect things versus what you see maybe in the general investor community. Are, is there kind of a recognition within investors that the aging population is going to dramatically change the health tech sector in the coming years? It's just starting. I honestly, when I started this about five years ago, I was desperately scouring for conferences, like events that targeted healthy aging. I, I was at an event um, probably about four years ago, and, and one of the VCs I know from, from um, uh, the southern state said to me, he's like, Brenda, stop talking about healthy aging and just call it healthy living. Nobody wants to be reminded how old they are. And it was like this penny drop moment. It's the same thing. So as soon as I embraced just the healthy living and the activity, so sport, fitness, performance to just mobility, not just, but mobility, it's all there. Um, so this, there was this boomer summit that, that is now I followed how, um, the sponsorship and participation of investors has, has progressed over the last five years and, nobody was paying attention to this small, small um, summit in, in California. And now uh, they've got pharma sponsorships and big biotech sponsorships. So it's coming. There's, I mean, there's, there's Interface Health now that's a, that's a BC based, a Vancouver based conference that is bringing the attention or targeting to bring more attention internationally to digital health tech. And there's a growing number of conferences that are now focusing on subsectors in digital health tech which are including seniors health uh, streams. It's just really started in the last year. I mean, there's a crisis of aging population, so it has to be addressed. Being in on it from, I guess, kind of ground zero at this yeah. point, do you think that Relentless is going to have a bit of advantage over people that might come down a little bit further down the road into this particular sector? Well, I would like to think so. And if, if I point to, uh, I'll share a couple of our angel investments that were also, that are Vancouver based. And, and, you know, when Simon and I were still, you know, first looking at companies, we, we, as a, as an Olympian, we saw a lot of sport, a lot of fitness tech and all of it, you know, my lens is how does it impact health? How does it impact health? And one of the investments we made, um, was Aspect Biosystems and Aspect out of UBC. They, they started out as 3D printing of biomaterials for a lab environment. So to benefit, and that was very, um, I, it was clear to me that benefit having been a healthcare investor in terms of being, being more efficient in, in the, the preclinical stage. But once they went from, um, the lab applications to developing a 3D printed meniscus and then partnering that with Johnson and Johnson. I was like, that is where I want to be. And, and nobody knew. So is, does, does relentless have an advantage? I would say it points to the fact that nobody knew the deal was even on the table before it was closed because we were in conversation. It's the, it's the best part of the business is finding those, developing those relationships and, and understanding and seeing the progress of certain companies before um, they have to go to the market. And uh, we, that was a very competitive deal. Just speaking from an investor's perspective, it was a very competitive deal that we got in while we were just doing small angel investing. Um, but it, it was that. And then we also invested in Weave as angel investors. And Weave is another Vancouver company, 3D printing of custom insoles and now uh, sandals or flip-flops. And 
the theme is there. If you look at weave, you look at um, aspect and you look at canary and you put them up on the whiteboard, they're all mobility. There's all health tech. Weave is less a digital health tech obvious, but it has an impact on health. And I mean, I reframe the conversation all around all the time around what they're doing and how it impacts health. Haley, have you checked out the uh, 3D printed tissue that Aspect has uh, developed though? I haven't seen it, but we've certainly had them on the show to talk about yeah, it. I, yeah, I, I went to their lab. I took photos uh, of it. I, I, it was interesting. <laughs> I was just like, okay, okay, it's right before my eyes. But um, all, very cool stuff that's going on yeah. in Metro Vancouver. I'm so glad you're able to come here and share with us on the show. I want you to keep it in touch with us and just as this progresses, to it. like just tell us what's going on within this yeah. community because it's excellent. Well, we certainly appreciate your support and, and getting the message out around uh, taking preventative health seriously is really at the core of our mission and, and uh, promoting active, healthy living and longevity. I mean, that's... We will be here around a long time and and sharing more good news. Excellent. That's Brenda Irwin. She's a managing partner at Relentless Venture Fund. Make sure to tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also leave us a review, which is appreciated. And you can find more stories on business over at BIB.com. Thanks again for listening. 